Welcome. I'm Melissa Durda, and this is Synergo's Cultivate the Soul podcast. Stories of purpose-driven philanthropy from around the world. Over this series, we explore together the intersection of contemplative practices, spirituality, philanthropy, and social impact. Join us as we dive into the personal journey of each guest and what they have discovered about the role of inner work on one's capacity to change the world. To learn more about each of our guests and view our full episode list, please visit synergos.org slash podcast. My name is Satish Kumar. I'm editor emeritus of Resurgence and Ecologist magazine. I cultivate my soul by walking in nature and meditating in a peaceful room. Today we are joined by Satish Kumar, founder of the Resurgence Trust. As a peace pilgrim, lifelong activist, and former monk, Satish Kumar has been inspiring global change for over 50 years. He is the founder of the Resurgence Trust, an educational charity that seeks to inform and inspire a just future for all. He was the editor of the charity's change-making magazine, Resurgence and Ecologist, for over 40 years and has been the guiding spirit behind several other internationally respected ecological and educational ventures, including co-founding Schumacher College. Satish's full bio is available on our podcast website. So, Satish, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today. It's my pleasure. I want to get us started by asking you to share with us a memory or a story from your life that was instrumental in shaping your view of what matters. Yes. You know, I was a Jain monk in my early childhood. When I was 18 years old, Mahatma Gandhi came to me in my dream. He was standing on the top of a sand dune, and I was standing below the sand dune. And in this dream, Mahatma Gandhi said that you are a monk because you think the world is a dirty place, a sinful place. Now, how many people can become monks and live in monastic order? Only very few. That means spirituality is only for the few, and the rest of us live in the sin in the world. That is not correct. I think we need to live spirituality in the world and make the whole world a spiritual place. That was amazing dream. When I woke up, I was absolutely sweating. And I said, I look at the world and see it as a trap. And I want to free myself from the world. Mahatma Gandhi is saying that you have to transform the world into a spiritual place. So I decided to escape from the monastery. One night after midnight, I ran away and joined a Gandhian ashram. And I was 18 years old at that time. So that dream has more or less informed the rest of my life. And all my work has been to cultivate the soul, nourish the soul, care for the soul. But soul is not just my individual soul, it's also anima mundi the soul of the world. So I would say that one incident, that one story, that one dream has been the kind of, you can say, transformative moment of my life. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I had chills just listening to it, reading more about you, about a peace pilgrimage that you did. 
So I don't know if this was before or after your dream. I'm imagining after, but just to share with the listeners, you made a peace pilgrimage from India to Moscow, London, Paris, and America, walking with no money and depending on the kindness and hospitality of strangers. And you delivered a humble packet of peace tea to leaders of the four capitals of the nuclear world. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Now, this was after my dream. I was 26 years old. And at that time, there was another great transformative moment. I was with a friend in a coffee house. And as we were waiting for the coffee, I picked up the newspaper. And the newspaper had a story that Bertrand Russell, the great Nobel Prize winning philosopher of England, was arrested and put in jail because he was protesting against the nuclear weapons. When I read that story, I said to myself, and I was with a friend, so I said to my friend, look, read this story. Here is a man of 90 going to jail for peace in the world. What are we doing, young men, sitting here drinking coffee? We have to do something to make peace and spirituality in the world a reality. And so that was a kind of another inspirational moment. And my friend and I decided to go to four nuclear capitals of the world, as you said, Moscow, Paris, London, and Washington, and tell the leaders that nuclear weapons are no weapons of war. They are weapons of mass destruction. And so we decided to walk because if you go by plane, if you go by car, it doesn't make any impact. But we are walking thousands of miles. That makes a story. And we will also make meeting people. Because ultimately, it's the people who will make peace. Ultimately, it is the people who will put pressure on their politicians and their leaders to make peace. So we decided to walk and walk without any money. As you said, that we walked without any money, depending on the goodwill of the strangers and ordinary people. Because wars begin in fear and peace begins in trust. So we don't have to just talk about peace, but we have to be peace. And in order to be peace, we have to have a trust in our heart. And so we decided that if you have no money, that means you have to utterly depend and trust ordinary people and strangers. And so we walked and we walked every day without any money, for two and a half years, for two and a half years, we walked 8,000 miles through 15 countries without a single penny in our pocket. And that shows that you can trust the world. Humans are humans wherever you go. If you treat them as humans, if we had gone as Indians, we will meet Pakistanis. If we had gone as Hindus, we will meet Muslims or Christians. If we when as a human beings, we meet only human beings. So we have to rise above these narrow identities, identity politics. And we have to see that first and foremost, we are all members of human community, an earth community. And then, of course, you can be an Indian, you can be an American, you can be a Czech, you can be a German, you can be a Russian, you can be a Chinese, you can be an African, you can be whatever you are. You can be Hindu, Muslim, Christian, whoever you are. But those are secondary identities. 
the primary identity is that we are human beings with a human spirit and human soul. And human soul does not have black, white, American, Russian, Chinese, Hindu, Muslim, Christian, these labels. We are all human soul and human spirit. And so that human soul and human spirit can be nourished and nurtured through love, through compassion, through generosity, and through peace. And that was the message of our peace pilgrimage over 8,000 miles. It's incredible. And if you look back on that journey, is there something in particular that still strikes you as a memorable moment or experience? I mean, as you said in your introduction, or in your question, that we delivered these packets of humble peace tea in the Kremlin and in the White House and all the nuclear countries. And the story is very beautiful and very inspiring. We were walking and we were distributing a leaflet about our walk. And in this leaflet, we explained that we are walking without money, with trust in our hearts and for peace. And so we gave this leaflet to two young women who were standing in front of a tea factory in Georgia near the Black Sea. And one of the women asked us, you say that you have walked all the way from India without any money. How do you eat? We said, people give us food. Within a second, a few seconds, she said, oh, are you hungry? We can offer you some food in our tea factory. We have a nice canteen. You can come and have a tea with us and tell us your stories. I said, all right, anytime is tea time. So we went in. And as we were drinking tea, one of the women had this brainwave. She went out of the room and came back with four packets of tea. And she said to us that I want you to be my messenger and give one packet of peace tea to our premier in the Kremlin. Second packet of tea to Palais-Élysée. Third packet of tea to the Prime Minister of England in 10 Downing Street. And the fourth packet of tea in the White House to the President of the United States of America. And please tell them a little message from me. Be my messenger. Be my ambassador. I was very intrigued. I said, what is your message? She said, my message to them is that if you ever get a mad thought of pressing the nuclear button, please stop for a moment and have a fresh cup of tea. Oh, that's a wise piece of advice. And that will give you a moment to think that your nuclear weapons are not only going to kill your enemies, but they will kill every man, woman, child, farmers, workers, uh, animals, um, birds, forests, rivers, lakes, everything will be destroyed and contaminated. So please don't use the nuclear weapons. It was so touching, a message of peace coming from a young woman working in a tea factory in a, near a small town uh, by the Black Sea. I was so touched. If I was going by aeroplane or by car or by train, I will never meet a woman like this. So walking without money gave me this opportunity to meet this young, wonderful young woman. And I became the messenger of peace assigned by this tea factory worker, a young, beautiful woman, a mother. And so I delivered the packet of peace tea in the Kremlin. I delivered the packet in the White House. And I said to these great leaders that, please do not use nuclear weapons ever. And they said, of course, we will not use nuclear weapons first. It's the other party who is more responsible. So the Kremlin was putting blame on the White House 
and the White House putting blame on the Kremlin, each other. So I said, it's not the blame game that makes peace. Peace is coming from love, from your soul, from your spirit, from your heart, from your generosity of, of trust. So this is what our message was. And I think that tea story was the most wonderful story of the whole journey. Oh, yes, it's a powerful story. And it's so wise to give them a chance to really pause and consider what they're about to do. It's advice that leaders today can also learn from and take. So I also wanted to ask you, you've had this lifelong journey. You've done many things. How did that bring you then to this work that you've been doing with the Resurgence Trust? Tell me a little bit about how you got to that. Resurgence Trust is an educational charity, and we publish this magazine for the past 55 years. Magazine is called Resurgence and Ecologist. You know, our media generally is full of doom and gloom and misery. I would call it misery media. There's no joy, no happiness. I've stopped reading newspapers. I've stopped watching television. I've stopped listening to radio because they are always misery, misery, misery. So Resurgence and Ecologist is a magazine of positive inspiration. How we can do something to solve our problems. What can we do to look after our land, our soil, our forest, our animals, our climate, and our humanity? So a, a, a magazine of positive news, inspiring news, and what other people are doing something, how they are bringing renewable energy, how they are bringing organic gardening and farming, how people are acting to look after their neighbors and how people are volunteering. All these beautiful stories of spirituality, of generosity, of community, of ecology, of um, many, many good things that humanity has because human beings are basically good. All these wars and, and conflicts are created by small number of people who have vested interest. Majority of people get on with their life. They are farmers, they are workers, they are teachers, they are doctors, they are nurses, uh, they are, they are um, um, craftsmen, they are artists, they are musicians, and they are all good people. And, and so people are generally speaking peaceful. They like to live in peace and get on with life. But our political leaders are engaged in wars and conflicts and weapons and so on. So researchers trust promotes this positive view of life and, and shows how we can solve our problems, be it problem of war or religious conflict or poverty or, or climate change. All these problems can be solved by mutual negotiation and finding common interest and a common ground so that we can all live as a humanity together. Because 8 billion people in this small global village this is, we all have to share this global village, the global planet. We have to share it. We can't move our location. We can't 8 billion people go and live on the moon or in on the marsh. We have to live. The Ukrainians and the Russians have to live next to each other. They can't change their location and they can't go move somewhere else. So my message through Resurgence Trust and Resurgence Ecology Magazine and our events and all our websites, we try to give this message of peace and, and ecology and love and friendship and generosity. This is the message the Resurgent Trust is promoting. And would you say that you're doing this through stories of inspiration, but also providing ways to empower people to also take action in their own daily lives? 
absolutely empowering people to take action because action is the only thing we can do results are not in our hands outcome is not in our hands but we can act so i became an activist after having that dream in which mahatma gandhi came to me i became an activist at the age 18 and now i'm 86 i'm still an activist and i want to remain an activist up to the last breath of my life so this is all we can do we are here to serve each other we are here to look after each other we are here to love each other and we are here to cultivate the land and plant the trees and look after animals and clean keep the rivers clean and keep our oceans clean and conserve the biodiversity these are the great challenges of our time when biodiversity is gone and when cultural diversity is gone and with everything is uniformity everywhere wherever you go mcdonald wherever you go coca cola wherever you go high rise buildings wherever you go these chain stores this uniformity is destroying the local distinction and this uniformity is destroying the diversity of every kind so resurgence trust is putting this message out to maintain the diversity the biodiversity the cultural diversity the linguistic diversity the religious diversity the national diversity the truth diversity diversity is the most important message of resurgence trust when we first spoke you also mentioned that you see this intersection or the strong links maybe beyond strong links but the intersection between spirituality and ecology can you tell us more about that your views on that and also what we can do to support that intersection ecology and spirituality can be expressed in terms of nature spirit so spirit and the nature are not separate and therefore humans and nature are not separate nature is not just there out in the world like forests mountains rivers oceans birds animals they are nature and humans are not nature this is a mistaken view because we are also nature we are made of the same elements earth air fire water and as we have consciousness nature had consciousness all nature mountains forests animals birds rivers they all have consciousness they all have spirit what we call nature spirit so nature spirituality and see that how water looks after all living beings water never discriminates against anyone whether you are a king or a beggar whether you are a priest or a prisoner whether you are a saint or a sinner whoever you are humans animals plants everyone is nourished by water see water can love and be compassionate to all living beings without any discrimination without any judgment we have to learn from water and be like water be like the soil be like air be like fire and so they do not discriminate against anyone and they look after and nourish all living beings that is the nature spirituality so we have to learn from nature nature is our teacher nature is our mentor nature is not just there as a resource for the economy nature is not just there for exploiting and turning everything into a kind of consumable goods nature is sacred so this is the kind of spirituality that i 
and Resurgence Trust and Resurgence Ecology Magazine promotes that nature is sacred and we have to look after nature and we are nature and we are not above nature. We are not superior to nature. Nature and we are one. And therefore nature is sacred and nature has a spirit, human spirit, nature spirit. These are two kinds of spirit, but they are same. There's no distinction between human spirit and nature spirit. And so having that reverence for nature, having reverence for all life, human life, animal life, forest life, birds life. Because we always talk about human rights. Of course, I believe in human rights. Of course I do. But I also believe in the rights of nature. Forests have rights. Rivers have rights. Oceans have rights. Animals have rights. Why do we only talk about human rights and exploit nature and destroy nature and pollute nature and waste nature? So this is the the important message of Resurgence Trust. So in all these years that you've been an activist and I feel your passion and it makes me want to go out and do something more today than I've done so far in my life. What shifts are you seeing? Where are we today after all of these years of your time fighting in this space? You know, shifts are happening. I had a great privilege and honor of meeting Martin Luther King after my walk to Washington. And at that time, he did not imagine that one day a black man could be in the White House as a president of the United States of America. Just imagine in the 50s and 60s, in the 60s when Martin Luther King was campaigning to end racism. Things have changed, although there's a long way to go. We are not yet there where Martin Luther King wants us to be there. And yet we have made a long progress and a long way we have come. In the same way, at that time when I was walking the place of women, I was reading the book by Simone de Beauvoir in France. And what was the place of women in those days? Even now, there's a long way to go again. But nevertheless, we have made some progress. And there's a much better position for women today than it was 40, 50, 60 years ago. Renewable energy, for example. Renewable energy when I started Resurgence Magazine and edited Resurgence Magazine, I was advocating renewable energy, wind power, solar power in 1970s. And people said to me, Satish, you are mad. You are stupid. You are an idealist. Wind and solar is never going to fulfill the need of energy required by the British people or European people or American people. And now in Britain, 40% of energy is coming from wind and solar. That's a change. So all these things give me hope. When I was a young man walking around the world, apartheid, Nelson Mandela was in prison for 27 years, but that changed. And Nelson Mandela became free. Apartheid came to an end. And there's a new South Africa. So things can change. So we have to believe and we have to have active hope. Hope is not passive. Hope is not that I will just wait for something to emerge or something to turn up. No, no. Hope is that you believe in something good and then you act. You do something about it. So I walked around the world. Martin Luther King was 29 times he was put in jail. Can you imagine? In his 20 years activism, 29 times he was in prison. So active hope. Martin Luther King was a man of active hope. Nelson Mandela was a man of active hope. Mother Teresa was a woman of active hope. Simone de Beauvoir was a woman of active hope. So all the great women and men who have written good books acted in their lives. They have shown us the example that things can change. 
And therefore, activism is the only answer that we have in our hands. We don't know when things will change. We don't know how the universe will be transformed, when God will give us a gift of change. But we have to do something. And then you do something, something will happen. I love that active hope. It's grounded in the action that you are promoting through your activism. And as you know, you know, we're working in the space of philanthropy. So our group is also taking action in their own ways. But for those who are listening to this and are inspired as I am, what do you recommend? What should we do to take action? I mean, I congratulate all philanthropists. The philanthropy is a way forward to bring justice and bring peace and bring kind of equanimity and equality and ecology in the world. So through philanthropy, through generosity of heart. And so Resurgence Trust is a small charity and we always depend on uh, philanthropic gifts and donations. But Resurgence is not the only one. There are many, many good organizations and charitable activities which are in need of support. So I would say the philanthropists, first of all, congratulations. And on behalf of all the recipients of your gifts and your or donations and your grants, I can thank you on behalf of everybody because I am an activist of the whole, whole movement. It's not just resurgence trust, all this sort of ecology and a kind of social justice and peace and beauty, and arts, and culture, all those things are interconnected. There's no separation. So on behalf of everybody, I can thank the philanthropists. I can congratulate for their generosity. And, 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 and more you give, God and the universe will bless you with more. So please never think anything in a mean way. As much as you give, the universe will give you more. And so thank you for your generosity, all philanthropists. Well, I love what you're saying. It's reminding me of your story at the beginning of our conversation around generosity, because philanthropy, the word philanthropy means the love of humanity. And it doesn't require wealth to be a philanthropist. You relied on the generosity of the people that you met on your pilgrimage, your peace pilgrimage, to offer whatever they had available to them at that time to support your journey. Absolutely. The poor, the poor people were the most generous. Poor people, will. I stayed in one house where they had no separate bed. So children went in the bed of their parents and they made one bed available and my friend and I slept on one bed. And so even poorest of the poor gave us uh, tremendous support. And so it's the generosity of spirit and generosity of strangers, which I experienced all the time. And therefore, I am delighted that people are able. And you know, philanthropy means love of humanity. But the word humanity comes from humus. And you know what humus means? Humus means soil. Soil, humus. It's a Latin word, humus. So humidity, humility, humanity all come from soil. And so human beings are soil beings. So when you are a philanthropist, you have a love of humans. That means also you have a love of soil. So if you are supporting ecological, environmental, and organic, caring for the land and caring for people, they're all connected. There's no separation. So whatever appeals to you, whatever inspires you, if you want to serve a human justice cause, do that. If you want to serve a cause of a land, or soil, or organic farming, or cleaning the environment, or stopping the climate change, whatever inspires you, just support that. But do something more than just for yourself. If I'm egocentric, 
my house, my car, my position, my power, my prestige, my name, my fame, me, me, me. So philanthropy means moving from me culture to we culture. Philanthropy means moving from ego to eco. And eco means relationship. Eco means home. And home is a place of relationship, caring for each other. So that is a philanthropy. From ego to eco, from me to we, from I to us. When you think of, we are members of earth community. And how much we have been given by the world. We have received so much. We have received our culture, our language, our architecture, our land. We have received and received and received. Whatever we give is only a small token of returning something what we have received. And so we give with tremendous humility and tremendous generosity. I love that expanded definition of philanthropy. I haven't heard that before, but I've made note of it because it does truly capture what so many of us are doing in the world beyond supporting humanity, but the ego to the eco, and that's so important. So how can people learn more? Is there a website that they can go to? Yes, yes, yes. Please go to resurgence.org. You will find all the information about myself and about our work. And some of your members of your philanthropy group have supported us in the past. So we are very grateful. And so you can visit resurgence.org and see what we are doing and our magazine. And all you can also subscribe, become a member of Resurgence Trust. And then you will receive six issues of the magazine in a year. Every two months, you will get uh, by post. But also you can subscribe online. That's even cheaper. So you can subscribe online. You can subscribe by post, mailing, uh, hard copy. And so please visit our website. I certainly will. And I look forward to reading about what you're doing, the work that you're doing. And I want to thank you for your dedicated lifetime of service and activism. And thank you for coming on the podcast today to share your story. It had been my pleasure to speak with you. What I loved about this conversation with Satish is how he is working to transform the world into a spiritual place. How we can define philanthropy from me to we, from ego to eco. 